I've seen some awful things. I've I've lived a bad life, and I was so determined that that my daughter w wasn't going to have that. And if I couldn't have given her what I wanted to promise to her, then I'd have happily given her over to somebody who could. The concept of logical fallacies really crosses my mind quite a bit. And that's just the thought that what we believe is intuitive, what we think might be logical, really isn't. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of that, and a simple one, is that sometimes we just intuitively think that big things matter. The bigger the building, the bigger the person, the, the bigger the moment, the bigger the emotions, that must have bigger consequences. A larger impact, right? I mean, that would only make sense. And that is a logical fallacy. Because sometimes that is true, but often it is not. I mean, how much does a bullet weigh? Things don't have to be immense to carry an immense consequence. Even think about your own life. Reflect on that one moment. If you didn't say that one sentence, if you didn't get in that car, if you didn't throw that punch, if that person didn't treat you that way in that moment, how could it have been different? And that is the center of today's episode. Hi, this is Alex Sheen, founder of Because I Said I Would, and you're listening to the Because I Said I Would podcast, where we share the life stories that come from the promises that people make, the promises they keep, and even, uh, even the broken ones. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Laura, a, a woman that is a supporter, actually, from England. The challenges that she's had to overcome in her life is, is something that plagues, uh, I guess, every city in the world, something that I know even affects my uh, town that I live in, in here in Cleveland, Ohio. It spans across generations, centuries of history. Uh, it's a story that unfortunately has a lot of loss and regret in this common problem that... Uh, we're hearing a lot about these days. Uh, this is Laura and her promise story. I grew up um, with my grandparents. I grew up in a town called Worcester um, in the UK. Um, growing up, it was okay. I, I struggled a little bit not having um, my mum, just sort of going to school and stuff, noticing like other kids had their mum. I did find that difficult. But apart from that, I kind of had a, a, a good um, upbringing when I was a very young age. It sort of started to go out of control as I got older. And was your father in the, in the picture? Yeah, my dad was in the picture. He lived um, with my nan and granddad. He worked a lot, so it, like my upbringing was left to them. But I did have a good—I did have a good relationship with my dad until I got into drugs, um, and obviously, like that sort of tore the family apart. Even though Laura's parents split when she was about 18 months old, even though she really hasn't had a mother. She did have stability. She had her grandparents, she had a roof over her head, and even happy memories with her father. But still, you know, something felt missing. Uh, with her mother not there, it comes, it comes with a void. 
that, that void, it's painful. Probably the deepest pain only a daughter without a mother can really feel. So as she grew up, that pain made itself known. And it all started when she was a younger teenager in school. Um, I remember walking up the corridor and seeing a girl that had sort of intimidated and bullied me for, for a long period of time. And she was a year above me and she was sort of popular. And, and I, I really felt intim intimidated and frightened of this girl. And as I walked up the corridor, there were some other people sort of hanging around her who um, I knew as well. And uh, she stopped me and she slapped me in the face uh, really hard. And I remember just feeling devastated. Like I walked off and like I, I didn't know whether to sort of like, I just didn't know what to do. And like everybody was laughing and I just felt so small. And that sort of like shaped, well, not shaped me, but that affected me like way into, way into my older years. If you're looking for a reason for why that girl slapped Laura in the hallway, it, it, there is one. It, it's not uh, something that Laura did. It's, it's a broken part of the social structure in a school. You see, there's this whole uh, mean girls mentality, right? Like this thought that if I can say something, do something to another person, even if it's hurtful, as long as everybody else laughs, that, that pushes me up. That raises my social standing. That makes me look cool. I think it's safe to say that the social structure of kids in our society, it's broken. It's just, it just feels broken. When I was at school, I felt like I never really fitted in. I mean, things escalated and I got bullied a lot. In the end, I sort of was like, well, I don't want to go anymore. You know, and there was a battle to keep me in school. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go. So I started acting out and playing up just because I wanted to be accepted by the other children. You know, I, if I could make them laugh and I could be a bit of a bad girl and earn a reputation that way and get them to accept me, I was happy. And because in my eyes, it, it was better than being the one everybody, you know, didn't want to be around every day, name calling, um, you know, things like that. It made my life really unhappy. I remember being frightened to go to school. I didn't want to be there. I didn't pay attention. It just it just got worse and worse and worse. And in the end, I left school and I ended up um, going to a pupil referral unit, um, which is kind of like a centre for children that maybe are having difficulties with their studies or behavioural problems, things like that. So as Laura is sent to this center, she's actually put in a situation that, of course, is intended to help her get better, right? It's literally a place designed for that. But at the same time, in that moment, she is then surrounded by kids who model that same behavior. The, the, the same negativity that she's trying to stop is now validated by the fact that there are a lot more people around her who act just the same way. Um, 
you know, like sort of, um, some of them uh, used to steal cars and stuff, go joyriding. Um, John, a lad that I went to the PRU with. And the PRU is the pupil referral unit that she just referred to. Um, basically, he was joyriding on a road to Pershaw, which is to another like town by where we live. <laughs> and he lost control of the car and lost his life. Um, I think he was 14 at the time. Another girl, um, she went on to commit um, arson. I remember her name, it was Donna, and she came from a children's home, and she ended up in prison, and I don't know what happened to her after that. You know, it's almost like all of our lives. You know, I haven't, if anybody did, I don't know, but I've not heard of one child that came out of there that's like, Okay. So the, the thought of, of belonging, the sense of fitting in, that is an important thing. But just as important is where you decide to fit in. When I went to the uh, pupil referral unit, you know, it was like you almost had to be a bad kid to go there. And it sort of, there was a lot of outcasts there from mainstream school. Um, you know, for, for various reasons, not all the same, but I kind of started to feel like I fitted in. And it was while I was there that I met my older daughter's father. And it was, he was like my first love. And it was, I just started to feel good. You know, I finally fitted in. Um, I finally had a few friends. It, it seemed to really help me, but then, it was like the damage was already done. My behavior was already, you know, sort of getting out of control. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it just escalated and escalated. What Laura was trying to do was just fulfill a basic human need, a, a sense of, of belonging, the thought that she mattered. That is incredibly important to do with friends, with someone you love. That is incredibly important. But just as important is how you fill that need, who you decide to involve in your life to fill that need. Because it's not just about people. That gap that we feel inside of us, that void that we're trying to, to fill, if it's, if it's not filled by the right people, it can also be filled by what would become Laura's greatest fight in her life. It can also be filled by drugs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. Cannabis, Cannabis. mushrooms, ecstasy, amphetamines. From the age of like 12, um, I've used various drugs. Mm -hmm. um, started with cannabis, things like that, um, amphetamines, uh, ecstasy mushrooms, you know, there's a lot of drugs I've done. Um, you know, sometimes people take drugs to have a good time, to, like, enhance, like, um, a good experience. And it started out as that for me. But it was escapism. I was trying to escape from pain. So at age 12, Laura starts doing drugs. And by age 14, well, still the pain, it never goes away. It doesn't matter how many drugs she uses. 
And so the situation goes from bad to worse. Laura becomes pregnant. Basically, um, I had my first daughter. I was pregnant at 14. I, ha- I gave birth at 15. And when she was four, my family got custody of her. I wasn't um, an addict then, but I probably wasn't, and I can admit it now, I probably wasn't the best mum that I could be. And even now that, that hurts me to say, but it's the truth. And I carried that pain with me for a long time. And I think that that definitely played a part in in me using drugs. Um, on top of that, I was in a relationship um, with a man that was um, physically abusive, um, mentally abusive. Um, and I think I just got to a point that Sorry, it's like a little bit <laughs> difficult. I just got I just got to a point where um, I felt worthless as a person. Um, and I think part of me was too terrified to kill myself because I couldn't do that to my little girl. And the other part of me couldn't live with the pain that I was feeling. I've never heard addiction be described in this way. To be some sort of purgatory. To be between wanting to live and wanting to die. And the only way to live in between those moments is to use heroin. I say I was probably 22. 22? Yeah. Um, about 22 when I started heroin. And all addictions start with a reason, and they also all start with a first time. The first time she would find comfort, and the comfort she found in a tube and tinfoil. The first time I used, I do remember. And at that point in my life, I felt so much hurt, so much anger. It had got to a point where I I couldn't live with how I felt. Um, I just felt like life had let me down, like everybody had let me down. And when I first did it, I smoked it on some tinfoil. For the first time in as long as I could remember, I felt warm and I felt I felt at peace. Like every every little bit of hurt and pain and everything else just melted away. And it felt good. And this substance abuse, it went on for years. Heroin had a grip on her life. And it wasn't just Laura that was hurting and she wasn't just hurting herself. It was those around her that's when Laura began to do whatever it took to to get that substance. Well, as I said, um, my grandparents uh, basically raised me. You know, they've they've been there 
for me three seconds in. Like, heroin's grip on me uh, was so bad that they, they're hard-working people. They've worked all their lives. Um, you know, and they, they had life savings. What heroin did, because they loved me that much, that they didn't want to see me rob people, um, beg, sell myself, or go to jail, they let me strip them of their life savings over the course of time. <clears throat> and it was so bad at times that they'd be crying while they handed me money. Heroin will make you do things that you you'd never think that you were capable of. And here's a small clip of me actually talking to Laura on the phone. I don't know. It's almost like it it puts a different person inside you. You know what I'm saying? Like it. Yeah. It's not like an. <clears throat> it's not like a moment's urge almost in the way you kind of describe it. It's not like you have an impulse. It's not like you doing something different for a moment. It's like a replacement of you. Yeah. When you first take that drug, you're basically signing yourself over to the devil because there's such a small percentage of ad- addicts that get better. I think people get caught at a bad place at the time and they do it and they honestly don't realise that they might never come back from this. Laura's drug addiction took a toll on her life and she lost custody of her daughter. You see, drugs, they control your feelings for a moment and in trade for that, it starts to take control of your entire life. I um, didn't have custody of her anymore. my dad did. Basically, because I went off the rails, I, I hadn't been there to build that relationship with her. And obviously the drugs, they just sort of tore me more away from my family and more away to the point where I barely saw them. Laura did not want this drug to take her life, to take her daughter from her, to take the money that her grandparents worked so hard to save. So she fought to quit, and during the course of her addiction, she tried and failed many times. I couldn't give you an exact number. Um, Quite a few times, though. (laughs) There's been a lot of times I've gone to bed on the night and promised myself that will be the last time I use. Tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. Tomorrow I'll be stronger. Tomorrow I'll fix her. And tomorrow comes, and I never fulfill my promise. And that went on for years. In stories of promises that are hard to keep, we constantly hear this word, tomorrow, 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 but tomorrow, it never comes. Tomorrow is just an excuse. But for Laura and the story of her commitment, her promise to quit tomorrow, it would come along. The day, uh, the day that her second daughter was born. I really do think the the change this time was the fact that I got pregnant. You know, that wasn't planned. Um, You know, it it made made such a big difference. 
I had something to do it for, you know. I, I had hope. When I found out I was pregnant with Ava, you know, I was determined. I've seen some awful things. I've, I've lived a bad life. And I was so determined that, that my daughter w wasn't going to have that. And if I couldn't have given her, you know, if I couldn't have stayed clean, if I couldn't have given what I wanted to promise to her, then I'd have happily given her over to somebody who could. I feel like life's damaged me enough and I wasn't going to damage her. Even in the joy of Ava's birth, a harsh reality is true that if you abuse drugs while you're pregnant, there is a chance that your child is born addicted to that same substance. There's a chance that Ava would be born addicted to heroin. Basically, I'm on a methadone prescription, um, which I've reduced over time. And um, when Ava was born, there was a chance that she'd withdraw. Um, and I don't know how, <laughs> but she didn't. We were in hospital five days, and I spent those five days, basically, I couldn't take my eyes off her, because she was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And drugs in that time didn't even enter my head. The only time it entered my head was when I thought about the possibility that she could be ill because of my doing. And that, that was really hard. Like every time she sort of coughed or spluttered or a little sneeze, I'd think this is it, she's gonna start withdrawing. And she didn't. I can't even describe how much I love her. Um, I see her as she saved me. You know, I all I ever wanted was somebody to love and somebody to love me back. And she's given me that. Um, she's funny. She's loving. Um, She's just sort of got to the age where she started to hug me back. And that's something really special for me. Um, to know that she... Because she can't tell me, but I feel it, that she loves me and she's... You know, she's happy that I'm her mum. And that makes me feel really good. <laughs> Laura's first daughter had started to become closer with Laura after she got through this addiction, making up for a lot of those lost years she had uh, with her mom as a child. Since I've got clean and had Ava, you know, our, our relationship as a family has got so much stronger. You know, it, it's really good, like, we're... We're so much closer. Uh, my relationship with my eldest daughter, like that's back, that, that's good. She comes over and she'll stay overnight and she loves her, her little sister and it, it just feels good. It's a lot easier to keep promises when you have a good reason to. And maybe one of the best reasons uh, is family. My family are very important to me. Um, 
and on my journey um with staying clean and stuff you know there's no there's no secret there's days where there's days where like yeah I'm having a hard day <clears throat> my coping mechanism in the past would be to reach for drugs so there is days and I try not to beat myself up for it but there's days where like I sort of think one hit won't hurt that little voice says to me you know what, just have one hit Laura it's not going to hurt you Nobody needs to know, but I'll know, and I can't do that. I can't do it to myself because I've worked. I have worked so hard to get where I am right now, and I can't do it to my little girl. That I, I look in the face every day, and everything I'm doing is for her. And I can't do it to my family who stood by me, you know, in times where they didn't need to. And I think that's one of the most beautiful types of commitments you can make through sickness and uh, through sickness and in health. I mean, even look at the case of my own father, obviously a very different situation, but as he went through cancer, I watched my stepmother keep her promise in sickness and in health. That even if you are diseased, even if you are on the edge of death, even when it's difficult, I'm gonna take care of you. I will clean you every day if I have to. And whether that's through a disease like cancer or through a disease like addiction, I am going to be there for you. And I think that is one of the biggest things that, that speak to me in Laura's promise. Her family, their commitment to stick with her. Because if they do that, then Laura's able to keep her promise because somebody else kept their commitment to, to you, you can keep your commitment to the world. You know, I'm gonna stick with you. Definitely, without, without my family supporting me through um, my pregnancy and <clears throat> those early days where, you know, part of me wanted to be a mum and wanted like you know to be healthy and be the best I could be but then also there's like addict Laura the part of me that wanted to run away <clears throat> and without them behind me I wouldn't have been able to do what I said I, I was going to do I mean I still hold pain from the past um, but it's something that I've I've learned to sort of put to the to the back of my head, you know, like I can't always let it hurt me because there's nothing I can do about that now. I just need to make the best of what, you know, what I've got. <coughs> and I, I, I want to improve myself as a person. I, I want, I've spent so many years like wasting my life that now it's really important for me. I feel blessed every day. I wake up, I've got a roof over my head, there's food in the cupboard, I've got electric. They might seem like minor things, but there was a time where I didn't have them. When you think about the promise that Laura has made to herself and to her daughter Ava, I mean, it has rippling implications. When a kid grows up around behavior, it becomes their behavior. 
whether that is bullying or drug abuse, it's possible that Ava never goes down that path, that she has this chance to grow up in a way where she's free. And that's because of Laura's strength and conviction to keep this commitment. No matter how hard it is, no matter how she even feels, keeping a promise, it's not easy. If it was easy, well, then everybody would do it. A promise is not just words. It's not just saying what you're going to do. It's way bigger than that. And there often isn't just one reason. For Laura, there were many. I think there's a lot of things. Um, there's my beautiful, beautiful daughter that I wake up to every day. And I'm thankful. There's my family, who are only ever a phone call away. Um, there's my substance misuse worker, who has stood by me and not lost faith in me that I could, I could do this. I would love for all promises to be motivated in a positive way, uh, this general feeling of making the world a better place. But the truth is sometimes promises aren't just motivated from that positive side. There is another motivation for why she wants to stay clean. I've lost a lot of people along the way. People that haven't got better. Friends who've got children. Um, and someone's actually sit those kids down and say, your or your dad's not coming back. Um, and I never want that for my kids. So I'm gonna stay strong, and I'm gonna stay clean. And I know some people don't, they're not as lucky as I've been. They haven't got a family to support them. They haven't got children. They haven't got, you know, they may have lost their kids and that's it. And it's really hard for people. And it makes me sad. Like one day I want to be able to help. I want, I want to help other people who've been where I've been. So if one of those kids who's 12, who's going down the wrong path, Maybe if we could get a thousand of them to listen to this story, and if we could get just one of them to do it differently. If what I've said to you tonight could change one person's life, that would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Aaron Califato, and I help produce content like this podcast for Because I Said I Would. In this episode, Laura describes in jarring detail her battle with addiction. According to the World Health Organization, there are 31 million people who use drugs and suffer from drug use disorders. It is estimated that there are almost 11 million people who inject drugs, and according to the CDC, over 72,000 Americans died of a drug overdose in 2017. To say that this is an epidemic is not only repetitive, but a profound understatement. Okay, so those are the big numbers, but what can we do? Well, there is one very obvious but unrealistic step. If people en masse made the commitment or promise to not consume drugs or alcohol, the issues of addiction would plummet. But is this reasonable? Most likely not. So then what? Well, after talking with several experts on the subject, the most vital and overlooked step to a possible recovery is acknowledgement. Even though this is incredibly difficult for a variety of factors, one must be accountable and admit their struggle in order to create a pathway to recovery. 
Recovery is possible, but it will always be lifelong. Our guest, Laura, took this step because she is ready to change the trajectory of her life. And she just emailed us, and she let us know that she is now studying a university access course. She's still in recovery and doing well, and her daughter is now 17 months and has just started walking. There is so much to live for. That's our episode for today. You can find and listen to this show at becauseisaidiwould.com slash the podcast. And you can also listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and most other platforms where podcasts are found. And while you're there, please rate and review this show. It goes a long way. If you like Because I Said I Would, the podcast, I think you'll enjoy Because I Said I Would, the book. Heartwarming, humorous, inspirational, and tragic. These collections of moving promise stories will challenge readers to look deep within themselves and consider the importance of the promises they make. The book is available for purchase at becauseisaidiwood.com slash the book. And you'll be glad to know that 100% of the author's proceeds go to Because I Said I Would, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is bettering humanity. And they do this through chapters of volunteers, character education in schools, accountability programs, and awareness campaigns with a global reach. Special thanks to our team, our producer, Julie Fink, our audio engineer, Dave Douglas. Until next time, remember, a single promise can change a life forever. And behind every promise, there's a story.